Hi, I'm Ryan. And I'm Anand. And you're listening to What Do We Even Know Anyways, a podcast where we answer questions that you've never even thought about asking. On today's episode, we talk about the science of music. Uh, okay, so what does that mean? What, like, what specifically uh, does that entail? So I guess we can start by talking about why do we even like music? Why do we have such an emotional response to it? And I guess the immediate cause of why we like music is because when we listen to music, dopamine is released. And that's the same chemical that's released when we're eating or right after we run. And so we have this positive response to it. But I guess the more relevant question is, why is this dopamine released? Because things like eating and running, they're essential to human survival. But music isn't essential to human survival. So one theory that scientists have is because music is a pattern or consists of patterns. And we typically, we, um, our ancestors needed to recognize patterns in order to survive. And so because music is a pattern, uh, we respond positively to it. Yeah, exactly. Music uh, really consists of a lot of patterns. And that's kind of the main difference between just a sound and music. Because any sound you hear exhibits a frequency um, and the creation of the harmony of frequencies is music. But why do certain things just sound like sounds and other things uh, sound like music? And that's actually kind of was discovered this relationship uh, by Pythagoras, um, the same guy who uh, is credited with inventing the Pythagorean theorem. So Pythagoras uh, was going through his day one day, I guess, and he heard blacksmith's hammers. Um, So he heard two different, or maybe more than two, but two different hammers, you know, swing together. And the sound they would make when they uh, made contact was very harmonious to him. And so he was curious, what about these hammers makes their noises uh, uh, pleasurable and harmonious? So... What he found out was that one hammer was actually twice as heavy as the second hammer. And when you think about it, this perfect ratio is very surprising. Um, So what he did was he thought of the most simple instrument he could think of, which was a string. And he tried to find out how uh, different ratios were involved with different harmonies. So what he found out is if he took a string and he played a note, so let's just say it's a C note, Um, If you wanted to play that note, but one octave higher, he could um, take the string and pinch it in the middle to cut the length in half and play it again. So the reason why this is harmonious is because the vibrations, the longitudinal standing waves created by uh, these vibrations are vibrating very symmetrically. So kind of like Anand said, there's a pattern to their vibrations. And as our eardrums take in these sounds, they're bending in and out. Um, And when the notes are harmonious and in a nice perfect ratio, our eardrum is bending in and out in a uniform pattern. And we find that very pleasurable. Um, So what he found out was we can get different musical notes by dividing the string into different sections and different perfect ratios. So instead of dividing in half, to create a note that's one octave higher, 
we could divide it into a third to create a whole nother note that's actually a perfect fifth away from the first note. Um, so this is really interesting. You can create all of our all of the notes we have by just taking perfect fifths from each note that uh, we get. And that really just tells us that these patterns that we're hearing are just due to these perfect ratios that we get in music. Yeah, so what Pythagoras was kind of arguing is that there's this inherent nature to music and there are these inherent tones uh, based on the ratios uh, that are destined or bound to fit together and that should fit together. But what the scientist at MIT, his name is Josh McDermott, what he found was that that's not necessarily the case. So he went to this very remote Amazonian village, and it was a village that hadn't been really exposed to Western music. And in this, uh, and he played for them, for for the people in this village, um, two chords. So the first chord was a perfect fifth, so a C and a G. And the second chord was a C and an F sharp, which is sometimes called the devil's chord because it's very dissonant to our ears. And as a matter of fact, it has some history and some people think that uh, people used to be put in jail just for playing this chord. But anyway, so he played these two chords for them and it turns out that the, the people in the village responded equally well to both the dissonant chord and uh, the consonant chord. And while he, when he did this in a, in a Western civilization, he found that people obviously much uh, preferred the, the C and the G, the, uh, the perfect fifth. So what that, might art, what that might say is that there's something about our culture and something about how we grew up that makes us like this ratio. And it's, it's not necessarily that something that's super inherent uh, about music itself. Uh, or at least that's what this study seems to suggest. Yeah, exactly. I guess there has to be another explanation um, if that study uh, is correct, because, you know, obviously the science just doesn't, it doesn't, um, although it might be true that Western ears enjoy the uh, perfect ratios, that might not be the case naturally for everyone. Yeah. And so another theory about why humans in general enjoy music is related to anticipation. So whenever we're listening to music, we're thinking what's going to come next, what type of rhythm, what melody, what note will occur next. And when we guess correctly, then we get this rush of dopamine. And the reason they think we have that response is because, well, our ancestors obviously needed to be good at predicting things. And to have your predictions kind of gratified is something that you should be rewarded for. So that's why a lot of people like pop music, because it's so predictable, and why fewer people like jazz music, because it's somewhat unpredictable. You know, there was a guy, another guy named Mike McCready, who was actually able to come up with a software that could uh, predict if a song, uh, it could, you know, analyze the sound, and it could predict if the song would become a mainstream uh, hit with great accuracy. Yeah, and I think they found that one of the major factors for predicting how much people will like a song is complexity. So if a song is too complex, then obviously we can't anticipate it well, so we won't like it as much. But if a song is too simple, then it won't captivate us. 
But anyways, anticipation obviously plays a major role in how much we enjoy a song. Uh, that might mean another reason why we might like music is because of our surroundings and because of like what we grow up listening to. So what we're exposed to, especially at an early age, can influence our musical taste. Um, because really the enjoyment of music is a learned skill. Um, different rhythms that we enjoy and different melodies that we enjoy are really the ones that we've been exposed to a lot. Um, because if we've been exposed to it a lot, we know it better. And if we know it, um, music better, we can anticipate it better. And a lot of our enjoyment of music actually stems from our anticipation of that music. And it's funny that music kind of relates a lot to our surroundings and our culture, because some historians hypothesize that music itself was a means of connecting us and creating this sort of culture. And that was the origin of music. So about 40,000 years ago, uh, when the Neanderthals were the dominant population on the earth, the, the Neanderthals just basically declined a lot and there was the rise of Homo sapiens. And their historians are trying to figure out why did Homo sapiens rise so quickly when they were not the majority of the population. Um, and one of the reasons they suggested is that there were there was lots of artwork in the in their caves and there was lots of there were musical instruments that they found. So they thought that this art and this music formed a sort of social glue and it allowed them to socialize and form stronger bonds than the Neanderthals could have. So that allowed them to kind of destroy Neanderthal civilization. So music has this history of connecting people and creating a common culture. And it's interesting that music has this history of being a social glue because now that we are studying the brain, we're kind of seeing that music has, or music can make our brains connect too and kind of form the same sort of connection. And so there was this study that um, measured brain activity um, while people listening to similar types of music. And when people listen to the same song with, with the same tempo, there are these mirror neurons that pulse. And depending on the tempo, they pulse at a certain rate. So when, when a, a bunch of people are listening to a certain song, then those mirror neurons will literally beat at the same pace. So, or and another example is when people are listening to the same type of music, um, the same parts of their brains will light up and, or have activity. So music itself connects people or, and makes their brains sync up. So it, it's kind of, it has this fundamental characteristic of connecting people. So a lot of the science we've been talking about assumes that humans invented music, or it only looks at music as perceived by humans. But it turns out that music might be more fundamental than that. Yeah, what science have found, or really what they've theorized, is that uh, music extends beyond just humans, and it's actually rooted in nature um, and in other animals that can enjoy music as well. Um, one example of this is a scientist named David Huron did a study uh, basically where, where he was playing music for mice, where he was playing notes, uh, tones for mice. Um, and basically he would play him a note, uh, play the mouse a note. So he would play a B note, for example. 
and the mouse would immediately turn its head uh, over to the origin of the sound, um, and then it would turn its head back. Um, and if you did this again, the mouse would turn its head again, and maybe if you did this again, the mouse would turn its head again. But eventually, um, they would get, they would kind of anticipate the noise, and they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't be surprised by it, and they might not turn their head. So what David Huron was trying to find was the sequence of notes that could be used so that the mouse turned its head every time. So what he found is that the sequence he could use so that the mouse never uh, always turned its head to the origin of the note, said he could play a B note, then a B note, followed by a C note, then another B note, a C note, and then finish with a D note. And you may have gotten a little lost there, but uh, what, that what is interesting is that if you take uh, the sequence of notes, but you replace B note for verse, C note for a chorus, and D note for a bridge, then you actually get the uh, structure of almost every popular uh, song, every uh, pop song that's hit the top of the charts for the past probably 50 years. Uh, so there's, just like mice, humans have that same tendency to be captivated by the same... Uh, the same, you know, sequence of ideas or sequence of kind of notes um, as, you know, as mice. That's cool. I, it kind of makes me think that there's like something inherent, inherent about that pattern or inherent about music itself and and kind of how humans and even mice perceive it. There's something similar there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, you know, music extends beyond even animals just to the very uh, backbone of our universe. Um, going back to Pythagoras, he actually uh, extended the laws of music to the orbits of planets. So, you know, he theorized that the um, orbits of the sun, the moon, uh, the earth, and the planets could all be uh, characterized in musical intervals and that they had a music to them. And while it's not audible to the ear, it's still a harmony just in itself. So, you know, there really is a, a symmetry and a pattern to all nature and all music uh, throughout our whole universe. What Do We Even Know Anyways is created by Ryan Hochstein and me, Anand Srinivasan. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to rate and review us. Thanks for listening.